everything happens the way God wants them to happen and they happen for a reason. I'm glad I kept going because now it makes sense. And what a journey it has been. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 47. Today I have a very special guest. Although I think all my guests are special. Today I have a old friend. Although I don't think we've actually met in person. We've been talking for years virtually. But today I welcome Dr. Shannon Good to the show. She is a primary care sports medicine physician who lives in New Orleans. She joined the staff of Oshner Sports Medicine Institute in September 2020. After completing a fellowship in sports medicine at USH Wilson Memorial Hospital in New York, she went to undergrad at Howard University, another historically black college and university, although it's not the best. I'm a little biased. Florida A&M is my love, and I bleed orange and green. But again, she went to Howard University for undergraduate, Meharry Medical School for med school, University of Miami for residency, and again, she completed a sports medicine fellowship at UHS, Wilson Memorial Hospital. She also is an athlete. She was a competitive swimmer. She swam most of high school and also participated in other sports. I will let you hear her story. So welcome, Dr. Good. Well, thanks again for joining me, Dr. Good. Thanks for having me. So I just want to go back to high school. You competed as a swimmer, and I did not know that. I think I was listening to one of your um, news broadcasts, and they mentioned it. Tell me about that, because a lot of us don't swim, especially competitively. (laughs) Well, we were at a pool party when I was in like first or second grade, and I think I fell in the water and somebody had to like get me out. And my mom was like, oh, no. So within days, I was in swim lessons. And I actually learned how to swim at Chicago State University, which is where most of the Black people I know in Chicago that know how to swim learned how to swim. Took a liking to it, joined the swim team. And swam competitively from third grade all the way through high school. And I was a lifeguard for three years. That was the thing as a swimmer, at least in Chicago. If you were a swimmer, when you turned 16, you could be a lifeguard. And so I was a lifeguard at Tule Park on the south side of Chicago for three summers. So what events did you participate in? I was a short short sprinter. So, well, actually... When I swam uh, club swimming, when we would have major meets, you actually had to swim every event. It wasn't like when I got to high school where you could, you know, specialize in what you wanted to swim in. When we had park district meets, you competed in every event. And when we had state meets, you would compete in every event. So I've had to swim the 500 in 
hated it. <laughs> hated it. But I was a short sprinter, 50 free, 100 free, and I was swimming butterfly and relays. What was your favorite? Butterfly. Because it's the hardest, but it's the prettiest. And it's the most challenging. And I think because I was good at it and it was the most challenging and the like for when we would get in trouble, our coach would make us swim a 200 butterfly. So it was like the punishment stroke. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really liked it. And I was I was good at it. So and it's just pretty. I like I love watching butterfly. It's hard. Well, it's hard for me. It's challenging. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Did you enjoy watching the Olympic swim events? Oh, I did. I did. I had so much fun watching it. I always, always look forward to watching it. I have a couple athletes in the clinic that are swimmers and they're the era. Well, now the Caleb Dressel era, but some of them were the Michael Phelps era of swimming. I was the Ian Torpedo era of swimming when he was our Michael Phelps at the time, you know, especially in the Sydney Olympics. Michael Phelps had just kind of come onto the scene. Um, so I've always been into watching the Olympics, especially watching swimming. It's it's exciting, especially because the U.S. has won gold like in every medley relay since like the last eight Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so it's so, you know, nerve wracking. But I like to see the new swimmers. I always look forward to seeing the black swimmers. Simone Manuel, when she came onto the scene, I was just like super excited because I remember watching the Sydney Olympics, there weren't any black people in Mm -hmm. the pool. And as a swimmer myself, you know, you have those Olympic dreams. And so after high school, I didn't swim competitively anymore. Um, But when she came on the scene for me, it was like, you know, just fangirl, just excited. Um, so I, I get excited when I when I see them and it, it brings back a lot of memories. I still have the Wheaties box from the 1996 Olympics with the Magnificent Seven Gymnastics Dream Team. Mm-hmm. So I've always been kind of a Olympic fanatic. Okay. <laughs> and, and I remember in like 2016 when Simone Biles came on the scene and you'll appreciate this. I told myself I was going to diversify my workout routine. And I used to tumble in high school. So I took an adult gymnastics class and I went to class and had a blast doing backflips here and there. Fell one good time, but bounced back up. You know, the adrenaline is going and I kind of limped to my car, but I was still really excited, you know. And the next day I was at work on a pain management rotation. I told my attending, like, my ankle doesn't feel right. Like, you know, I know I had a fall at gymnastics, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. He's like, oh, you should get that checked out. And this was my going into my second year of residency. So I call my um, attending who was a sports medicine doc. I said, I need to see you Friday. You know, can I get in and see you? Well, week later, I had an avicular bone contusion, ended up in a boot and nine weight bearing for a little while. And so like when I tell patients like, don't go out and do anything crazy, they look at me and I'm like, I've been there. Like I tried it. (laughs) And I had I had to watch the rest of the Olympics on the couch. I couldn't even jump up and down. <laughs> but um, it was because of the Olympics I took the class because I was so excited and mm-hmm. so motivated. So now when it comes around, I try to be like, you know, just stick to your elliptical. Don't do anything <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you know what happened last time. So I, I love watching the Olympics. Do you still swim? Uh, for recreation. I don't like to compete. It's like I'm a competitive person, but um, I was never like 
really into competing, I get performance anxiety. So like for swimming, you know, you're on the block, it's a tone that goes off and then it's a gun for a false start. And it just gives me jitters. Like, so I never, once I stopped swimming, I never wanted to go back to like swimming competitively. But if there is a body of water, I am in it. I will, when I studied abroad in Australia, we, on our spring break, took this boat out into the Great Barrier Reef in Cairns. And the the captain was like, what's the first thing you want to do? I was like, jump in the water. And like the next morning when the sun came up, I literally just ran and jumped off the side of the boat. And all these people probably had never seen a black girl swim because when, <laughs> came up to the, when I came up to the surface, everybody was like in a frenzy. Somebody had their buoy out. And I'm just <laughs> they were like, like, right, right. What is she doing? I'm like, first of all, I'm not that crazy. I'm not just going to jump in water. And just swim. But that's how excited I was. I just, I couldn't contain it. I was just like running and jump, you know? So I swim recreationally. Good, 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 good. Do you do another sports growing up? I ran track for a little bit. That's that's what kept me in shape in the off season. And, and I was in shape too, because I attended Morgan Park High School and our women's track team was like legendary. They would, they, I think we won city championship for track over 10 years in a row. And I kind of walked on the team like Track trials were a huge thing for our school because the women's team was so good. Many girls went on to collegiate uh, athletics and, you know, run track at a big universities. One of my good friends was like the track star. So she like got me on the team and I did not know what I was getting myself into. So I did run track for, I ran for two years. Again, short sprints, anything longer than like a hundred yards. I ju- I'm just not made for distance. I I admire you and all that you do. <laughs> But when I used to lifeguard and we would have to run a mile, I would die at the end of that mile. But I ran track and I tumbled. I wanted to join the cheerleading team, but football season and swim season are at the same time and track and basketball are around the same time. So couldn't really be a cheerleader. So my mom let me take um, tumbling classes in the evening. So that was another thing that I would do to keep in shape and, you know, have fun. Do you ever think about doing triathlons since you know how to swim? That's usually a barrier for most people. I have. And honestly, the biggest deterrent is that running. I I think I I need some, I would need someone to coach me into learning how to run distance because again, I mean, I'm for real a short sprinter. It's distance. I don't know if it's just intimidating or what is it, but I've thought about it. I, I think I think it's one of the coolest things that people can do. I've worked triathlons as a sports medicine physician, and I always admire, you know, everyone doing it. And when I, I did a junior lifeguard program, we would have to do these run, swim, run events and things like that. So I've thought about it, but I'm, I'm a little intimidated by that running. You could try, they have an event called Apple Bike, which you just bike and swim, which I just recently learned about. So, and a lot of people do it because I thought about doing it when I was injured. They sell out really quick though. Okay. I'll look into that. So let's talk about um, you growing up. When did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? Um, So actually I have the, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer, period, at some point. But I really didn't make a commitment to what I wanted to go into. And even then, it wasn't medicine. Um, I wanted to go into sports medicine my sophomore year. High school, I tore my meniscus and had to have knee surgery. And I remember, and I actually really actually just found the person that operated on my knee. I found him on Instagram. And I was like, oh, my God, like, 
you know, <laughs> just 20 years ago, but like, look at me now. And that's when I got introduced to sports medicine. So initially it was, I'm going to go into athletic training. Right before I tore my meniscus, it was the uh, Fiesta Bowl of 2003 between Ohio State and University of Miami. And I was a University of Miami fanatic and Willis McGahee blew out his knee in that game. And everybody ran to the field. And I said, wow, I want to, I want to run out on the field. Now, <laughs> mind you now, I hope I never have to run out on a field because it's never a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to go, right, right, right. Unless the so, game is over and you want right, or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Please, I do not, I do see me on the field. It is not good. But I wanted to go into athletic training. I wanted to go to University of Miami. They had an athletic training program. Actually, my sportsman assistant, she graduated from their program. So I was going to go to University of Miami. I was going to major in athletic training. You know, I knew who my roommate was. I had my class schedule and my father and I went back and forth about me attending college and being from Chicago and Miami being so far away and being as expensive as it was. He kept telling me like, no, you're not going. And I was just determined. And so because of the universe, I ended up going to Howard University, which I ended up telling people that was the best decision my father ever made for me. But like I didn't research majors at Howard. So I just chose physical therapy as my major. Well, a couple of weeks before I went to Howard, my dad reconnected with a friend of his from the Air Force and they came over for dinner. He brought his wife and she was like, oh, you're going to Howard. I went to Howard. I stayed in Wheatley Hall. I said, oh, my God, I'm, I'm staying in Wheatley Hall. You know, and she was like, my roommate, she's a guidance counselor there. When you get there, you should find her. I said, fine. You know, so I get to campus, get to move in. Mind you, University of Miami is luxury. I had no AC in my dorm and I lived on the fourth floor. So I was a little bougie. I was like, what, what is this? I know because DC is hot. It was the hottest day. It was August 19th, 2005. I don't understand. It was the hottest day of the summer. So I find, I find this lady and she's talking to me and she's like, oh, so what's your major? And I was like, oh, physical therapy. She was like, you don't sound excited. And I said, well, you know, I wanted to go to University of Miami and I was going to do this. She said, well, what are you interested in? She said, it sounds like you're interested in sports medicine. I said, well, yeah, that's that's what I'm interested in. She said, you know, we have a sports medicine major. And I was like, no, because clearly I, I said I found out I was going to Howard. and I was at Howard a month later. I had no time to research anything. And so I said, OK, she said, but it, it's pre-med. It's a pre-med major, you know, and which is funny that she says that because they have an exercise physiology major that's not pre-med. And the sports medicine major is actually an exercise physiology major with a minor in chemistry. But she said it's pre-med, you know, and I was like, mm, still hadn't really thought about going into medicine that route because I wanted to be an athletic trainer. Got to my first bio 101 class and it was an experience to be at an HBCU in a room full of 200 people that were all like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. And even then I was still kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but the bug bit me. And had I not gone to Howard University, I would not have gone into medicine. Not at all. I would have majored in athletic training. I would have got my master's and I likely would have went that route. But it was, it was that moment. Right. It was divine intervention. (laughs) And so, and then, and then I remember, I even remember being at Howard and having moments where I thought I wasn't going to go to med school. And I remember, you know, in the midst of this crisis, I studied abroad, I went to Sydney, Australia, I studied abroad because I was like, you know, I'm done with this, blah, blah, blah. And before I left, I told my friends and some guidance counselors that I wasn't going to be pre-med anymore. I was just going to be exercise physiology. And I remember like getting back to campus from Sydney and all my friends were like, um, so did you get it out your system? And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you, you know, we're going to be a doctor first semester, freshman year, you have to be a doctor. And they kind of like 
made me realize that it's something that I could do. I, I, get, I don't know if I kind of lost hope or I didn't have the confidence in myself mm-hmm. to see it through. But my friends really rallied around me and were like, you know, we already told our moms that you were going to be a doctor. So like <laughs> you have to be a doctor. And then being somewhere like Howard, you know, there, there, you say you want to be an astronaut. Somebody's going to make sure you pursue it to the best of your ability. <laughs> you know, if there is no like, you want to do what? You know, so between my friends and uh, my professors, got back on that track and ended up at Meharry Medical College. So what made you choose Meharry? I didn't do that well on the MCAT. My MCAT um, score wasn't that great. And I only had like a handful of interviews for medical school. So even then, in the moment, I thought it wasn't going to happen. And this is how another divine intervention. So when I was in the spring semesters of my college years, I would volunteer for this organization called Target Hope. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. They started in Chicago and it's a program that fosters high school students into college, like get them prepared for college. And they go on college tours every year. And I didn't do the high school component, but when I got to Howard, I participated in it with people that had graduated from the high school component. Well, they would go on a college tour every year. So I had applied to Meharry. I think I had been like waitlisted and I was chaperoning a college tour. We were going from Howard to Hampton to the AUC and then up to Nashville uh, and Tennessee State. Literally like a week before I was to go, and this is the second time I was doing this tour. This was my senior year, and it was like April. The week before I was supposed to go, I don't even know the details, but my dad called me and was like, somebody knows somebody that knows somebody at Meharry. Mm -hmm. And if you can meet them while you're there, it would be awesome. And I was like, you know, okay. And Meharry literally is across the street from Fisk. And so while the kids toured Fisk, I got my suit together, went over to uh, Meharry and had a meeting with this man named Dr. Moses. And like Mm -hmm. anybody that's ever gone to Meharry, you know who Dr. Dr. Moses, we always make this joke that like when God decided to invent biochemistry, he created Dr. Moses. Like this man is legendary. And it was just so happened that that's who they got me to meet. And I and I truly believe it was that meeting that ended up getting me, you know, off the wait list, but I got accepted into their post-bac program. So I did a post-baccalaureate program at Meharry. And for that program, contingent on you getting a certain GPA and MCAT score, you get accepted into the first year class. They don't have it anymore. I think it's a master's program now. I'm not sure if it works the same way, but I, I didn't get accepted anywhere else. And Meharry gave me a chance and I'm grateful for it. Super grateful for it. So tell me about your entire journey to become a doctor. It's inspirational. Part of my podcast is to have guests who've overcome obstacles to make it to your finish line. And your story is inspirational. Yeah. So going into medical school, I wanted to go into orthopedic surgery. Like that was the thing. And my confidence kind of got a little shook around the end of my second year because I didn't pass step one the first time. I had to retake step one, which... People do, but I had to retake step one. And then going into fourth year, because I got off cycle. And um, I mean, I had done a summer internship program with Nth Dimensions with Dr. Bonnie Simpson Mason. I did her program. And so then going into my fourth year, I was 
I had my surgery rotation. And like the thing about Meharry, and I was still contemplating doing orthopedic surgery, but I, I didn't have the confidence that I would actually match because ortho is really competitive. But then coupled with that was my surgery rotation, which was my absolute favorite rotation. But at Meharry, there's no there's no surgical residency. So as a as a medical student, you are first assist, you are the resident. Like that's how they treat us. And I just remember like <laughs> one night on a Saturday, the pager going off at like two o'clock in the morning to come in for an appendectomy. And I was like, "This is this the surgery life? You know, <laughs> like I, my sleep is precious. Um, and so I, and I wanted to go into orthopedic surgery with the idea of going into sports medicine, because at the time, that's all I knew how to get to sports medicine. So sports mm-hmm. medicine had always remained. So around that time, I was introduced to a physiatrist, physical medicine and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we do sports medicine fellowships. So like at the last minute, I got like an away rotation in PM&R and like uh, only applied to PM&R. Of course, I'm a, it's like November when I'm applying. And I, I think I had like four interviews. And then around this time of interviews, I'll never forget uh, finding out that I failed step two clinical skills. And now that's the one test that they always like are like, oh, if you can speak English, you can pass. Everybody should pass it. Mm-hmm. So to fail it, I was like, oh, my God. I re- I literally remember calling my mom and my girlfriends and being like, up, oh, that's it. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to have to go get a Ph.D. Like, I'm just not going to make it like mm-hmm. course changed, you know. And they, you know, whatever, keep, you know, keep going. And my mom always, and I'll bring this up again. She's very in one ear and out the other, just like, sure, Shannon, whatever you say. Okay. And so I apply and I I still have the, I still have this email. I got the, we're sorry you did not match email and missed match day. And that was the most devastating because Meharry is very known for match day. Like we do our match day ceremony big. They put all the, I don't know if they still do it this way, but when I did it, they put all the envelopes in a big box, shake it up, and they pull the envelopes one by one. So you never know when you're going to go up to the podium. And you go up to the podium, get your five minutes, like the Grammy Awards, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a big deal. So I didn't even go to our match day. I was so, you know, depressed. So didn't match, tried to soap, couldn't soap, and was just defeated. So I... Can you explain what the soap is? So SOAP is the supplemental something application process, which is like where the unfilled programs and the people that didn't match into residency kind of get to partner up. Um, And so they're trying to fill spots with people that didn't match. And I did. I still was unsuccessful with obtaining a position through that process. So I moved back to Chicago. It was like, well, what can I do to make myself more competitive? So I studied for step three. At the time, only certain states would let you take step three if you weren't in a residency program. In Illinois, you you had to be at least an intern, like your program director had to enable you to take step three. We drove to Washington, D.C. for me to take step three in Maryland. You know what okay. I mean? I like went out of my way to make sure I could take step three. And in the meantime, I'm like, well, you know, I need something to do while I reapply. And I reapplied, wasn't hearing anything back. And I remember like applying for research jobs and things like this, couldn't get anything. And so finally, out of desperation, I said, well, let me just look for other jobs. And I applied to be a gift wrapper at Bloomingdale's because it was the fall. It was going into the Christmas season. And I remember, so I applied again for physical medicine rehabilitation. Now, when I did my away rotation in med school, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Got to Chicago, reapplied for PM&R again. Somebody knew somebody that said, my friend is a PM&R resident at Northwestern, like, go meet her. And I met her and she was like, I can get you to do a week observership. That way you can meet some faculty and stuff. And at Northwestern, I remember doing this week 
And I was like, I hate this. Like, I cannot do EMGs and nerve conduction studies. I didn't like PM&R. I, I hadn't been exposed to that side of PM&R. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I don't want to do this. And by this time, it's like November. Now, I found out my step three score on October 21st, because when I took step three, the last day that you could take it was like September 30th because they revamped the whole test. So I took the test on September 29th and September 30th. And USMLE, you get your test results three weeks from the Wednesday after you take the test. So October 20th, I get home from working at Bloomingdale's. Now, went to Bloomingdale's, showed up for my interview. And there, you know, they say bring a resume. Of course, I bring my curriculum vitae because that's all I have. And it's just yeah. Meharry and biology and anatomy and pediatric, you know, rotations. And the lady was like, I can't hire you. I said, why? She said, you're a whole doctor. Like, you, you are too qualified for this position. I can't hire you. And I looked her dead in the eye. I said, ma'am, I need a job. You know, and I remember my dad being like, he was retired. He was like, you could just stay at home and chill with me. I'm like, no, I, I need to do something. I, and it's just always been my nature to yeah. just do something, you know, and I wanted to make money for myself. So I had to like convince her to give me the job. And she was like, well, I can't let you be a gift wrapper. My manager of fine jewelry needs an assistant uh, so you can be his assistant. And so what would have been a part-time minimum wage gift wrapping job turned into me work. I was working like 50 hours a week, making more than minimum wage. Like I had a, a real job. And it was like crazy because Bloomingdale's makes you go through very, very intense uh, customer service training. And I'll touch on why that's important later. So I realized I don't want to do PM&R and I panic. So I emailed the dean at Meharry. I'm like, what do I do? He's like, well, apply to a primary care specialty. Like it's a, you know, you have a better chance of matching into one of those and then, you know, go that route. Primary care is either either emergency medicine, which I knew I didn't want to do, pediatrics, which I knew I didn't want to do because I, I can't take the kids being sad. I just, I can't. <laughs> uh, family medicine. I remember the the night before my OBGYN rotation, which was my first rotation, I told myself I was going to love OBGYN because we had a couple, there were two people, two or three, three, two or three people that uh, were wanting to go into ortho at Meharry that told me like, oh, but I almost chose OB because it was so cool. So like all the ortho people were like, we really like OB. And there was actually a guy that applied to both ortho and OBGYN and didn't know until match day what he was wow. going to go into. Yeah, that's, I, that's unusual to me. But anyway, I convinced myself that I was going to love OB. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It was not for me. My my first my first delivery, this lady came in. She was like, this is like her fourth baby. And she came in just kind of humming, you know, push that baby out in 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I could do this. I could do this, right? Got to my first night rotation. And it was packed. It was, there were women hollering everywhere. And I remember the chief resident asking me if I was okay. And I was like, why? He was like, you look like you were crying. I legit was sitting there <laughs> like messed up. I couldn't take it. I just couldn't. And I remember, I don't remember delivering my first baby because I blacked out, but I did it. I, it's terrifying. And so like for the rest of the rotation, they would be like, who wants to deliver the baby? That's interesting. I did one and I was one and done. I'm like, it's okay. I, I like sewing up lacerations better than the delivery. I love you, Right. GYN <laughs> was like amazing. And I could deal with a cesarean section, but bottom line, family was not it for me. So it came down to internal medicine. 
So literally, it was like December 2nd. I like rewrite my whole personal statement, right? Because my personal statement is for PM&R. It's the same story, but you have to tweak it. And I send out all these applications. And on December 3rd, I get an email from University of Miami, first interview I got. And they were like, we'd love to interview you, but our interview slots are full. So put your name on the wait list. And they take you to this thing called Interview Broker, where you can see the calendar and put your name on a wait list, see how many people are on the wait list for each interview day, but you can only put your name on one day. So I put my name down, I think it was like Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday, but it was January 13th. And I put my name down there and I was just like, prayers, you know. Next morning, I get an email from them saying your interview date has been accepted. And I was confused. And so I emailed them like, hey, am I just confirmed on the wait list? And the girl, and this is this literally the next day, she was like, actually, no, somebody dropped off on January 13th and you were the next in line. And so now you have an interview spot. And I was just like, what? And I literally had, that was my only interview for a categorical, which is a three-year position. I had one other interview for a prelim position at UIC. So those were the only two interviews I got. And I just remember being like, even in that moment, I was just defeated because in med school, they tell you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like a urban legend when you hear somebody like I had one interview and I matched. Like, it, it, it doesn't happen. It's always, nobody knows that person. It's always like my cousin's sister's auntie's daughter's best friend only got one interview. You're like, yeah, right. So I only had the one categorical interview and the one prelim interview. Now, back to when I got my step three scores, I had the biggest breakdown I think I've ever had in life because I just knew that if I failed this test, I already got two tests failed on my transcript. And when you submit for, for application, they can see your whole transcript so they can see it. I freaked out and told my mom, I'm just going to work at Bloomingdale's for the rest of my life. And she was like, yeah, yeah, in one ear and out the other, like, you'll be fine. So I go on these interviews, go on my interview to Miami, and it was like, great. And I wrote them a letter asking to come back for a second look. And they said, yes. And they said, you know, we would love to partner you with one of our attendings. You know, what are you interested in? So this was for internal medicine. So internal medicine doctors go on to be cardiology, hematology, nephrologies, right? So they're like, Mm -hmm. what do you like? And out on a whim, I just say sports medicine, knowing that like, Whatever. I just said, oh, I'm interested in sports medicine. They're like, great. We'll set you up with Dr. Manilak. He's a sports medicine doctor. And I was like, what? I, and this is when I found out about primary care sports medicine, which are physicians that do either pediatrics, med piece, ER, PM&R, or internal medicine and go into sports medicine. And so I uh, rotate with him and he was internal medicine and he was one of the uh, people that helped start at the residency program because this was the first year of the residency program. And so I was like, wow. So now I'm excited, right? Like, oh, I can go to Miami and there's this sports medicine doctor there. And he did internal medicine because also what I found out was sports medicine is traditionally a family medicine fellowship. Like there are mm-hmm. still programs that won't allow applicants outside of family medicine to apply. Uh, so I'm just like, wow, that there's hope. You know, I remember match day just sitting at the kitchen table with my parents, like waiting on that email and I uh, found out I matched at University of Miami, you know, and so that was like that. I get into residency and intern year is fine. And then our second year is when you start to talk about if you want to go into fellowship, like this is where you start to be strategic. Well, I want to do sports medicine. Well, the issue with internal medicine is like internal medicine is not 
sport. No, ma'am. Rheumatology, hematology, oncology. Like I had to kind of like beg to do these sports medicine rotations. And luckily, Dr. Manamat being core faculty was like, because he was core faculty, they say, yeah, you can go work with him. So I do all these things and I applied for sports medicine fellowship. Now we got four interviews because I was not a competitive applicant. Finding out that what makes applicants competitive is having longitudinal coverage of sporting events. And I didn't have that because I was internal medicine and we weren't, <laughs> we were in the hospital. Sports, yeah. Right. And so I did a away rotation at Rush. And I remember at the end of my rotation at Rush, the program director telling me, she said, if I were to just look at your CV, she said, I wouldn't offer you an interview. You're not competitive enough. And she was like, but you, you did really well on your rotation. So I'm going to offer you an interview. So that was one interview. I got an interview from Meharry. I got interview for Houston Methodist, which Later found out I was the only African-American applicant. Hmm. And so that's where I found that out later. Someone there told me, but that was that. And I had an interview at Drexel. And the Drexel interview was like, looking back on it, you know, after finding out about Houston Methodist, I'm like, I know why my Harry interviewed me. I know why Rush interviewed me. I know why Houston Methodist interviewed me. Why did Drexel, where did they find me? And they only interviewed 15 people. And I was one hmm. of those 15. So I interviewed and the program director was like, you're really great, but you you know, application wise, you're not competitive. He was like, if you don't match, you let me know. And I'm thinking like, okay, you know, we'll see. Well, two, three months later, match day. And I get that. We're sorry. You did not match email again. By this point, I was like, no, I've come too far. Like I can't, you know, I can't let this go by. So I emailed and they don't have a soap for a sports medicine fellowship. So I had to email every vacant send my CV, send my personal statement and send an email letting them know I didn't match. You have an open position. You know, I'd love to fill it. And so I was about to shut my computer down. I remember, oh, the guy at Drexel said, let him know. So I let him know. He's like, all right, do this. I'm like, already done. He's like, okay, hang tight. And I get this email that literally was like, hey, Jill, got this applicant. She's really great. Heard you didn't fill your spot. You should check her out. And I'm thinking like, it didn't even say where, right? I'm just like, okay, we'll see. A couple hours later, I get a phone call. Is this Shannon Clemens? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, this is Dr. So-and-so at a, a Binghamton uh, Sports Medicine Fellowship. You have a moment. I was like, of course, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we <laughs> we have a phone interview. And mind you, I didn't apply to this program. I still don't even know where it is. I'm just going with it. And she was like, okay, well, you know, I don't have your info. So can you give me three contacts to call for your references? And I give her to them. Um, one of those being my program director for, uh, from residency. And I remember texting him to be like, hey, you know, this lady's going to call you. And he's like, well, you know, I'm kind of in Italy. So unavailable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like panicking. So a couple hours go by. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was eating a Subway sandwich and it was a steak and cheese sandwich with jalapenos. <laughs> and I do because I was chewing. I just took a bite of the sandwich and my phone rings and I see her number. And I have a mouthful of food. And it's like, I can't let her go to voicemail. I can't answer with a mouthful of food. I had to spit the sandwich out. <laughs> and <laughs> I kid you not, I spit that sandwich out. And she's like, uh, hey, so called your references, called your program director. I'm like, oh, I knew she was going to call him first. She's like, he's kind of out of the country. I said, yeah. And I'm, I'm just, 
I just know she's going to be like, we're sorry, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I spoke to your associate program director and she sang your praises. So we want to offer you a position. Now, mind you, earlier in the day, I had another breakdown on okay. some, I'll never be a sports medicine doctor. And my mom was just like, <laughs> okay, you know, okay, whatever, <laughs> Shannon. Okay. And so she's like, I want to offer you a position. I'm like, yes. She's like, okay, great. You know, we hang up. I run in, my mom's about to go walk the dog. I'm like, I got a position. And they're like, where? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I got- <laughs> like, I'm going. <laughs> no clue, but I'm going. You know what I'm saying? I'm going. You know, my mom was just, she just kind of smiled. And it, it is the thing that, that it is, is like, my mom has the biggest faith of anybody I know. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she was like, you know, I prayed on this, like, I knew you were going to make it. You just had to keep moving. And she says it now when we talk about it. She's like, I just said in one ear and out the other, like, I'm going to let her have a moment. You know what I mean? And then, you know, things will work out. And so I'm like, I'm going. And she was like, mm-hmm, okay, I'll be back. And I'm like, why is she not? She was like, I knew you were going to, you know, she had that faith that I did it. And like, that's one thing I always tell my mentees. Your circle is so important because you need people that have faith in you when you do not have faith in yourself. And did my fellowship. Upstate New York, Binghamton, New York, in the middle of nowhere. And being from Chicago, after living in D.C., I've lived in all these fast-paced cities. I went to a a city with a population of, like, I think it was three cities, and each city had, like, thirty to 40,000 people. I was in the middle of nowhere, but had amazing training. Used to the cold. It was. Oh, my God. The name of the county was Broome County, and they nicknamed it Gloom County. It was ugly. (laughs) I would go days without seeing another black person. It was one of those when you go out and you do see another black person, you'd be like, hey, you're excited. Like, How'd you get here? You instantly, any black person, every black person, you know, but had an amazing experience. And I remember like people telling me uh, apply to jobs in like February. I'm like, okay. And then the previous fellow was like, no, start looking now. And this was like in August. So I started looking. Most of the primary care sports medicine jobs were in like places like that, rural mm-hmm. USA. I knew I wanted to do 100% sports, but I, and I knew I didn't want to be in a rural area, but they were offering me to stay where I did fellowship. They were offering me a job there. And like I had a, a lead on a job in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, things like that on a whim on LinkedIn of all places saw, cause I had been on all these other job sites and stuff. And I was never really big on LinkedIn, but I got on LinkedIn, saw that Oshner had a position. I remember like thinking the same thing when I saw the university of Miami residency, like email or like even that they had a program. I thought to myself, that'd be too good to be true. Cause I'm a Miami fanatic. You know, how, how would, how I would not end up at university of Miami. And then I end up at university of Miami. So when I saw that Oshner job post, I was just like, in New Orleans, like in a real city, you know, <laughs> like it's just real. Is it real? Uh, and I applied and um, the rest was history. Like I got the job here. They told me, uh, you know, what the job entailed. I'm the team physician for Dillard and Xavier. And as a two-time HBCU grad, that's like, you know, right up my alley. We have a contract with Southern up in Baton Rouge, which I don't cover, but like we have that relationship. So I'm planning to go up there, you know, for some games. And and now I'm just, you know, living the dream. I love my job. I'm glad I kept going because now it makes sense. Very rarely am I like, is it five o'clock yet? You know, or very rarely do I dread Mondays because I absolutely love 
what I do. And it's just like, I still have to pinch myself sometimes. How did I end up here? How did I, how did I get here? Divine intervention. Lots of it. Lots of it. Oh, and I'm good. a, ooh. Sometimes the, the, the journey prepares you for the destination. You just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a journey it has been. So how did you keep your faith? Well, is your mother through all of the... My mom and then my grandmother. My grandmother, I remember like when I was in med school, be one of those days you just don't do well on a test or just having a rough day. And I wouldn't like tell anybody. It happened on multiple occasions where I would be sitting in my room and just like crying or just on the brink of tears. And my phone would ring and it would be my grandmother. And she would be like, God, baby, <laughs> God woke me up this morning and said, I need to call you and pray over you. But it was like every time it happened, I was on the brink of just losing it. it mm-hmm. You know, we talked other times, but so many times. And then just as I got further in my career, looking back on how things really did work out and how God really did come through for me, you know, each time. And now I, ha- I, I, I just have this, everything is going to work out mentality, whether it's the way I imagined it or another way it's, it's going to work out for the best. Everything happens the way God wants them to happen and they happen for a reason. But yeah, between my mom and my grandmother, just calling me, <laughs> calling me randomly, just praying over me uh, and my friends, my circle, when I did not pass step one, that was, it was a scary time. It was like, I was, there was a lot of embarrassment and just, you know, being down. And two of my homegirls who I'm still close with to this day, they, uh, family medicine doctors, one in Atlanta, one in Charlotte, you know, just like really rallied behind me to keep me uplifted. My dad would call me and be like, Nikki and Kendra called me five times today checking on you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, they worried about you because I wasn't answering my phone, right? And they're like, she, mm-hmm. they keep calling, they keep calling, you know? And so <laughs> having that support system of people around me to just consistently say, like, remind me that I'm a hard worker. I deserve to have the things that are going to come my way. And I feel like that's something... I've had to tell myself that multiple times, having had all these failures, but ending up where I am, it's like, I ended up where I am for a reason. Like I deserve to be here. Everybody talks about that, like imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I would be in residency, I had this moment where I was still kind of embarrassed. I failed step twice and didn't match. And I'm like, but I, we but all got it. here. Yeah, I made yeah. it here. Yeah. Uh, so like just taking the moment to just think about, you know, what I thought were failures, which were really just, you know, tests to just mm-hmm. get me moving forward. But friends and family for, for sure. And you kind of realized what you wanted to do because you wouldn't have known you didn't like PMR. You right. You residency and be like, I hate this. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is so bad. I send patients for EMGs and nerve conduction studies all the time. And every time I do it, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And so I'm reminded about it all the time. My assistant isn't, She's an athletic trainer, but now she's a sports medicine assistant, but she majored in athletic training at University of Miami. So every time I look at her, I'm like, wow, we could have been traded places, you know, Mm -hmm. and but I'm just so grateful to be where where I am, having made it, you know, this far. Season three, we will continue the new segment called Ask the Doc. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, go to my website, www.weouilife, 
weouilove.com. Click on the tab voicemail, leave your voicemail, and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now, back to the show. When I applied for sports medicine fellowships after residency, I was supposed to go to, I think it was Jacksonville program. I think like a month before I called because I never got, I didn't get any information. And they said, what did they say? They gave my spot to somebody else. It was so random and didn't give me any explanation or anything. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to start this fellowship. Like it was a month or two months. It was something, something close. But and I was looking in I think it was a journal of orthopedic surgeon. They had this opening for this fellowship in Pennsylvania. So I called and I got the fellowship at the last minute. But it's kind of similar story. I don't, I really don't know why they picked me and they gave, they just gave my fellowship away Mm -hmm. without any explanation. I'm like, this can't be right, but I don't have time to deal with it. Right, right. You just gotta, that's how it is sometimes. Next, you know, I, I always give myself a period, a time period to grieve and to get my emotions out. I had, cause I just, I catastrophize. I, I worry, I get anxiety and I, it used to take over me. And what I learned was I just need to give myself a short time period to freak out, freak all the way out, go all the way down the rabbit hole of what ifs. And then you got to snap back to reality and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. But that's because you weren't supposed to be in Jacksonville. <laughs> I guess I was supposed to be in Philadelphia, which I'm glad I did. I enjoyed my time. So it's I was funny because I was going to ask you, how was it that you cover HBCU? I thought that was something you chose, but that was already set up before you got there. It was something I wanted to do. I just love HBCUs. I just love the campus. I love college campuses, period. But I've always, you know, I told myself if I'm ever, if I ever go into teaching, I want to do it at an HBCU. Like, I just love the HBCU environment, what they do for our people, you know. So I didn't know. It wasn't posted in the Ochsner write-up for the position that that's what I would be doing. But after speaking with my now boss and, you know, telling him, my story and, you know, where I matriculated through, he was like, oh, wow. You know, he was like, you, we could put you at Dillard and Xavier. There's a need there. And I was just like, yes, like, yes. Like, (laughs) you're, this is like a plus, you know, you're asking me as if, would you do it? And I'm like, yes, I would do it any day. You know, Mm -hmm. I go to one school, I go to Xavier on first, third and fifth Tuesdays. And I go to Dillard on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month to do a two hour training room with the athletes. And then I, I cover their athletics. So I love it. What else sports do you generally cover? For those two schools, I attend volleyball and basketball games, men and women's basketball and volleyball. And then I see athletes from all sports. I've gone to a couple cheer competitions and then Oshner has like a monopoly on high school football here in New Orleans. And so we split up the high school football here for that. I remember my first Xavier game, first Xavier basketball game, they weren't allowing spectators, but they allowed like parts of the band in there. And I was Mm -hmm. so excited. I was so excited. (laughs) I was just like, yes, this is exactly where I need to be. And then with, you know, what else is really cool about it is though these are athletes, they're college students first. And there's a lot of them that are interested in healthcare. More than once, I've had one of the athletes be like, you're the first Black doctor I've ever met. You know what I mean? And so now I'm able to mentor 
you know, young people and enlighten them and help them along their journey. So it's just, it's perfect. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Do you deal with concussion uh, management? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is on the website considered one of my specialties. We do a lot of um, concussions and ushers. We've been working overtime on our concussion program. So the thing about concussions is you do want to rest, but studies have shown that some light exercise can actually help you know, speed up recovery of concussions. And so we're like, we're doing a lot of big things with getting our athletes into rehab early for concussion. A lot of people don't know that. Like some people have to go to physical therapy for concussions because Mm -hmm. concussions can, you know, offset your vestibular system and your balance and your proprioception, your reaction time can all be altered. So I see a lot of concussions. That's probably one, at least once a day I have a concussion patient. Do you find how have you found um, any issues with either like family or parents or coaches pressuring you about returning an athlete back to play early? When I volunteered, it was mainly high school where I had issues with like he needs to play. I'm like, no, he doesn't play. <laughs> this thing I tell people all the time there as a sports medicine doctor, there's a lot of glitz and a lot of glam. When it comes down to it, my bottom line is to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what I explain and, you know, even even patients want to get back sooner than they need to. So I have this whole spiel that I give the athletes when they come in for the first time with their concussion. I explain to them what a concussion is. I explain to them that on average, a concussion, you're back to sport in three to six weeks. Very rarely are people taking longer than that. Right. Three to six week recovery. But because of those things are altered that I mentioned, balance, reaction time, proprioception, if I send you back to sport too soon, not only could you get another concussion and prolong this recovery mm-hmm. period, if your proprioception is off and your reaction time is off and you're at football practice and somebody hits you and you fall and you tear your ACL, well, now mm-hmm. we're out nine yeah, months. Yeah. So you, you yeah. know, pick it, pick your poison. So I'm trying to keep you safe and Because I've seen it. I've seen athletes go back too soon and end up with bigger injuries than what we had with the concussion. And now they're out way longer. So I put my foot down. I that's there are certain things that I just don't waver on. A lot of the the families are pressured to get people back, you know, kids try to deceive me. I don't let it affect me. That's there are certain things I have to draw the line on. And that as being a sports medicine doctor, my job is keeping you safe and I'm not gonna waver on it. So I think coming in. And taking that stance so early, people know, like, Dr. Clemens does not play. I had, (laughs) I see a lot of athletes from St. Augustine, which is an all-boys school here in New Orleans. And uh, I ran into one of the coaches one day. He said, oh, but at this time, I was still Dr. Clemens. He was like, oh, you're Dr. Clemens. I said, yes. He said, oh, yeah, I heard about you. You put your (laughs) foot down. Yeah, I'm not, you know, because... I don't want to do the wrong thing. So morally, you know, as a physician, what's the first thing they tell you? First, do no harm. I don't want to do anything. But, you know, these kids are young. They're impressionable. They have a bright mm-hmm. future. I don't I don't want to mess them up. Safety first. I, I just will not bud. But being consistent with that, too. So I don't get a lot of pressure from people. They kind of know when somebody sees me like, oh, yeah, never mind. Don't just do what she tells you to do. How do you feel about football. I know some people with the contact and the talk about concussions, even though some sports actually have more concussions than football. Like soccer. Mm-hmm. Hockey I read too. Like if you had a son, would you let him play football? I mean, how do you feel about some of the new rules? I think if I had a son, I probably would not let him play 
contact football until he was at least in high school. Okay. And in order for him to say, sure, you know, I want, in order for him to say, I want to play football for me to say, sure, there has to be some type of sustained level of athleticism that has been going on prior to that. So meaning you can't just wake up one day, you've never played, you've never run track, you've never played baseball, you've never done anything. And you say, I want to play football because that's dangerous. It's At that point, you know, it's a little too late. But if you've been athletic and you've kind of proven to me that you have athletic abilities and you're safe with what you do, at that point, we can discuss it. I'm okay with flag football and things like that, but not even just from like a concussion standpoint, just the injuries that I see with young people um, and football. I don't have a problem with it, but you have to have proven a certain level of athleticism and a certain level of maturity to be able to participate in a sport like football. Football is rough. There's a lot of pressure, not just from your teammates, but from your coaches. And I need to know that you can withstand peer pressure and that you're mature about the things that you do. So I, I think it's okay, but there have to be parameters for it, for sure. Okay. I love football so much, but I, I'm kind of like torn because I, I think I did, a, I did a podcast on concussions and actually a, um, a blog after I saw the movie because mm-hmm. um, I'm torn because it's like I love the game. It's like you like the Eagles. But I love football in general. I, I love anything football. Because when I went to the Hall of Fame, because I did a race there, there's this one, he was a rescue thing. Like, there's not much Eagle stuff. I'm like, I love I love the history. I like, I love yeah. football. It's, I just love football. And I, I don't know where it came from. I think <laughs> when I lived in Philly covering football games, it's like, I don't know. It's just something about football that just fascinates me. Hey, you know, I, I have a special place for football, too, because my father used to referee Big Ten college football. You know, my first trip to Disney World was going to the Citrus Bowl. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it, too. But it's like being on the other side. I'm OK with it. It's just you, you just got to do it safely. Like I, I meet some kids and I'm just like, you play football? No, there's no you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, high school boys wake up. They get, you know, sophomore year high school. All their friends are on the football team. You know, they want to try out for football. They try out for football. They go to their first practice. They get hit. They end up in my clinic with a concussion. And by the time I'm ready to like release them back, they're like, no, you know, I think I still feel, you know, because they don't want to go back. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they don't want to play anymore. And that's the person that should not have been on the football team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but no, I, I I enjoy watching it. I love watching out. The only Saints game I've ever been to, I won tickets last year to go to the Saints Buccaneers playoff game. That was awesome. You know, and and like when I say University of Miami, like that was my team when I was in high school and middle school. So I, I have a special place for football too. But you know, and then I saw I, I watched Concussion the movie too. You have to have the right support system and the right mindset for it. That's true. What is the most scariest thing that's happened while you were covering an event? Anything come to mind? Honestly, I haven't seen too many gruesome things. I've seen some things, but I think because when I was in fellowship, like being in fellowship, you have to be exposed to everything. So I've seen like videos of soccer players with a dislocated kneecap and they pop it back into place on the field and run back down the field. You know what I mean? I've yeah. seen videos of, you know, you, you hear about 
the freak accidents with the basketball players that snapped their leg in half, knowing they probably had a stress fracture for forever and nobody said anything. There hasn't been anything, knock on wood, you know, thankfully, that kind of really scared me. There have been situations where I wasn't scared necessarily for the safety of someone, but maybe someone had something happen and had to get pulled out the game. We go, oh, that's the star player. He needs to mm-hmm. go back in, you know, things like that. But luckily, I haven't had anything too scary. Now, there has been one thing that happened that I wasn't there for. I did have a situation where I got a call that a women's basketball player passed out while running at practice. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, and, and she was semi in and out of consciousness and they had to take her to the emergency room and just hearing that, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't witness it, but this is one of my athletes. And, you know, of course that that's really why I'm at the games, you know, as Mm -hmm. a primary care sports medicine physician, I'm not there for a broken leg. I'm not there for a torn ACL. I'm there just in case somebody's heart stopped and we need to do something about it. Right. So to hear that was scary. And I remember like going to the emergency room And I sat there with her and the coach and waited for her family to get there so that I could debrief them and talk to the doctors, you know, things like that. But hearing that was scary. But luckily, I haven't I haven't had anything that was too scary. I've had a lot of fractures and stuff, but it's just kind of like after you see it so many times. You get kind of used to it, I guess, the lack of a better word. What your player that passed out, what, what did it end up being? Myasthenia gravis crisis. She had a history of myasthenia gravis and had a crisis. My scariest event was covering, I used to cover the indoor soccer um, league and the goalie got hit in the eye and took him back to the locker room and I was saying he could not see out of his eye. So it, it freaked me out because I didn't know much about eyes and hadn't seen him. And he was freaked out. He was like, I can't see Dr. Brown. I can't see Dr. Brown. I'm not going to be okay. I'm like, you're going to be okay. But in my mind, I was like, okay. But we went to the <laughs> Right away, the eye emergency. He wound up being okay, but it's funny because we're Facebook friends. He's like, "Yes, I remember that day." I was like, "I was freaked out, but I didn't want him to like play cool." I'm like, "Right, right." (laughs) You know, and and that's the other thing. Like something like that would be kind of like a the. I I get a little freaked out about the eye too. You know what I mean? I probably would have been like, "Uh." There's really nothing I can do, so <laughs> we don't take it to the, you know, is your heart, you breathing, you talking, oh, okay, I'm good with that, so. Mm-hmm. You say you do a lot of mentoring. Do you do any programs, or is it just students? Mostly, well, since I've been in New Orleans, mostly it's just been with the schools and the colleges, but I definitely try to reach back you know, when I can, I end up doing a lot of panels on programs that are geared towards high school or college students. And I sit on as a panelist and talk about, you know, my journey and what I've been through. Nothing formal yet. I've been talking with the program, I mean, the athletic director over at Diller, because she's sent me a lot of young students that are interested in mentorship. And I'm trying to, it's getting to the point now where I try to want to figure out a way to kind of be able to reach them all and give them all the same information at one time and connect Mm -hmm. them to each other. I I always end up doing a lot of uh, connecting with people, like someone will send me oh, my daughter's pre-med, you know, can you talk to her about this? And like, in my mind, I'm like, I can, but then I'm over here mentoring this med student and I'm like, hey, you're closer to, you know, so I do want to try to get some organization to what it is I'm doing. Um, But right now, since moving to New Orleans and starting this new job, it's just kind of a, you know, what I can do here or there, nothing formal just yet. 
If you could go back your present day self and give your younger self advice, what would you say? I would encourage myself to read more and not not fiction, but like really getting into inspirational material. Mm-hmm. And I was actually just telling my husband about this yesterday because we watched a Netflix special called I Am Not Your Guru by Tony Robbins. And he's a big inspirational uh, speaker. And I was telling him like, you know, I hadn't been doing the reading like I used to. But when I was about towards my in like my third year residency, I really got into like self-help type books and, you know, inspirational books. I feel like that's really when kind of like my faith really kicked in. And my confidence started to kind of build. When people think like, when did your life change? I would say like my third year residency, really getting into those books, just everything changed and became more positive. I became a lot more relaxed, a lot less anxiety. Like I said, way more faith and more confidence. I would have encouraged myself to dive into more inspirational activities and books of that nature. I also would tell myself to study. When I got to med school, I remember after like our first six weeks, we did like a summer six week program before starting med school. Mm-hmm. And I called my mom. I said, I said, you're not going to believe me. But I said, trust me, trust me. I said, I have calculated the number of hours I have studied in the last six weeks. And I guarantee it's more than the four years <laughs> I did in undergrad. I don't know what I called myself doing then. But I got to med school and was like, oh, this is, and not to say that I didn't study, you know, and I was brave. It's different. And so I'm thinking like, had I had that discipline or knew how to study like in high school, I should have went to college on a full ride. I should have went to med school on a full ride. You know, I, I should have got straight A's. Things would be, a li- you know, a little different, but like, I would definitely just encourage myself to just, to read more and just know that I had it in me to apply myself more. I felt like I applied myself, but going into med school, I I had to tap into something that I had never tapped into, but it was there all along. So if I would have known about that sooner, I think that would have been game changer. Any last minute words of wisdom from Dr. Good? Keep the faith, just keep moving forward. Like never give up. You cannot, you just can't give up. Like take your moment to sulk and and grief is real. You know, a lot of people don't understand grief. A lot of people think it's just, oh, I didn't get this opportunity. And it's like, yes, you're grieving not getting that opportunity, but you're also grieving all what you thought was going to come with that opportunity. Whether if that would have been going to a new city or meeting new people, you know, there's so much to grieve. Like Grieve all the things you put into it. Take the time to grieve what it is you feel like you're losing out on. Because that's all it is in the moment. You think you're losing out. And really, it's God being like, no, I got a little, got like a little extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else for you. you know what I mean? Wait a while. I love that picture where it's the little girl holding the teddy bear. And she's like, but I want to keep it. And it's like a quote unquote Jesus, you know, with a huge teddy bear behind him, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, it's so it's so real. Just kind of keep moving forward. My mom would always tell me, she said, it's okay to pray. She said, but don't get too attached to the things that you're praying for that you want because you'll miss out on stuff because God might want to bless you beyond what you think you want. And if you don't let go, you'll never get it. I had to do that. And when I look at my life and like everything that I have and everywhere that I am now, there's no way I would have imagined things being this good. 
Like I had an idea of what I thought life would look like at 34. And it's so mediocre now that I think back on it. Oh my God, that was, that would have been a sad life. You know, if I would have just prayed for what I thought I wanted to be at 34, but luckily, you know, keep the faith, just pick yourself up, just keep moving forward and, and keep that tribe. You have to have a circle of people that are going to uplift you and carry you when you, when you don't see it in yourself. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email runitisuperfantherapyolb Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's runitisuperfantherapyomahaloveground at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. O-U-I Life, O-U-I Love. Thank you and please tune in.